Okay, we are in this series on spiritual gifts, and we are getting so close to being done with it that next week will probably be our last week. Let me catch you up a little bit on where we've been. You can see we've been through all of the debate you could possibly have on are the gifts still active in the church because we've been kind of going through that. Two weeks ago, we struggled with the idea of does God still speak and does he speak through prophets in the church today? Last week, we struggled with does he still heal and does he heal through healers? All right, and just to bring us up to speed as to where we're going, this is just a look ahead. Next week, we're going to wrap up our spiritual gifts series by talking about all the gifts we haven't hit on yet, which is all the ones you guys have been waiting for. Because none of us in here so far have had the gift of, you know, tongues or prophecy. Nobody really scored high on that and said, I want to know how I can use that better. Most of you are still waiting to see, what about all those other gifts like administration, mercy, giving, uh, all those ones that are listed on that list of 30 gifts? What are we going to go through? How, we, how do those gifts work? We'll be talking about that next week as we wrap up all the other gifts and how we can develop them in the church. Then, starting in September, we have a brand new series. And our new series is going to be focusing on what is the will of God? How does it work? Can we discern it for our lives? We're going to be going through a series. It's an extended period of time because one of the most common questions we get is, how do I figure out God's will for my life? And usually we're looking for it like some fortune cookie thing where it just tells us on a daily basis we get a message. Here's what I need you to do today, you know? So we're going to be walking through that. It's going to be a cool series. Some of us in here are probably still searching and trying to understand it better. Okay, so that'll be a cool series. You know, we'll be talking about things like, does God change his mind? Can we change it for him? You know, all those kind of questions that some of you have debated. Okay, so tonight we're going to be talking about miracles. Kind of a little bit of a detour to spiritual gifts. But this question is so commonly asked in this group that I thought we just need to spend a night, this is the best time to do it, and talk about the subject of miracles. And here's really the question we're going to ask tonight. Do miracles still exist? Do they still happen? And what is a miracle? Okay, so put that in mind. Just start thinking about it for a second. Let me recap something from last week and the week before, just so that we can put a fine point on it. Last week's discussion was a little bit messy. (laughs) We were all over the map a little bit, so I'd like to kind of wrap up those two weeks in this way. The two questions are on the board was, does God still speak and does God still heal? I'm going to make this a three-minute review. Here's kind of where we ended up. It seems like we, the whole church, agrees that God does speak to his people and he does heal. The place of difference appears to be that some people believe that he only heals directly, only speaks directly, that he doesn't use prophets and healers. The charismatics believe that prophecy and prophets and healers still exist. And we've been debating that, looking at people like Oral Roberts and Benny Hinn and all those different people. So just to recap and kind of get us all on the same page, I went back and listened to the two talks on these, and here's what it seems like our group has come up with as a consensus. It seems, from the discussions that we put together and all the resources we have, that the Charismatics have a better argument from Scripture that prophecy and healing are still ongoing. At least scripturally, it seems that the time for those gifts ceasing hasn't happened yet. It would happen when Jesus comes back. Okay? But it also seems that our group believes that many of those people who claim to be prophets and who claim to heal don't really have those gifts. We spent a lot of time analyzing people who said, like Oral Roberts, who said, I can't tell you the number of people I've raised from the dead because he's never actually been able to prove that any of them were. 
uh, or Benny Hinn. We talked about some of the things that lead people to believe that he might be fraudulent. And all the sorts of crazy statements that have been made that people have said, this is a prophecy that came directly from the Lord. And they turn out later to be kind of goofy or just plain wrong. So I think we all as a group consensus-wise agreed that maybe the real issue is that the people who put themselves out there as prophets and healers maybe aren't all that genuine. But really, that doesn't mean that there are none. In fact, if scripture is our basis, not experience, then maybe there are prophets and healers among us. In fact, we should expect that there should be. And probably the legitimate ones aren't the ones that are having these huge rallies and living in the expensive lifestyle that seems to be the hallmark of that part of the Pentecostal movement. So that's kind of where we seem to have ended up as our consensus. All right. So that brings us to tonight, asking a very similar question. Are miracles still active? Just like the questions we asked the last couple of weeks, are there, does God still speak? Everybody's like, yes. Does God still heal? Everybody's like, yes. If I ask you this question, are miracles still active? Let's dispense with that one. Is there anybody in here who believes that miracles have ceased, that God no longer performs miracles in the world? Okay, so that one's easy. I think we can get rid of that one and just move it aside. Okay? I think that most of us worship a God who can still do miracles, right? Like, there's nothing that said, hey, God, when the Bible was over, that was the end of miracles. You can't do anymore. That would be a kind of a silly notion of God. That's why we can easily dispense with that. I don't think we need to even insult our intelligence by spending time focusing on that question too much because it's pretty clear God can do whatever he wants. I think the real question is, what is a miracle? What actually qualifies as a miracle? I want to read you something that this week was called a miracle. All right, so here's the story. I'll tell you a summary, and then I'll read you this little article. PFC Brendan Schweigart. He's a soldier in Iraq, and he was out. Anyone hear the story this week? Anyone paying attention to the news? Okay, this guy is out on patrol in Iraq. He's out doing his job as a soldier, and here's what happened. Uh, Brendan was helping to retrieve a tank in Iraq when he felt as if he'd been hit with a sledgehammer. And by the way, I'm reading the news report itself. It was deadly fire from an enemy sniper. But this day called up a miracle for the young soldier who believes in God and the teachings of the Bible. According to the report by NBC, the bullet missed Schweigart's vital organs because over his heart was a Bible. So this guy had a Bible tucked into his, whatever you call it, that you put on all your, whatever those called, fatigues, what do they call those things? Who's been in the army? Yeah, the, the camouflage that he had on, right? So he has this thing on, and he had a Bible tucked in right over his heart, and the bullet went straight into the Bible. Scott says it's one he got at boot camp. The Bible acted as a shield that trapped the bullet. He had promised his mother that he would always carry his Bible into battle. His mother, Kim Scott, told reporters that her son grew up going to church and Bible camp. In 2006, at the age of 22, he had left three siblings to join the army. He went to work on trucks in Iraq. Last week, according to the report, he was two miles away from base, and his unit came under attack. He was hit, and then, of course, they describe his wounds, and they go on. And he says, the one that would have injured him and killed him and gone through his heart stopped in the Bible. So they have a picture, by the way, that I didn't bring. I should have put it on the screen. They have a picture of the Bible, and there's the bullet in the Bible. Okay? This story was reported by a number of media outlets, and a lot of them, you know, to tease you to stay through the commercial, said, is it a miracle? Now, what do you think of that? Is that a miracle? 
Does that count? What should we use as a definition for a miracle? How do we know? Yeah. Taking the scientific approach to the first question of is that a miracle? Uh, scientists are going to apply the laws of physics, you know, mass velocity and all that stuff to see if that would have occurred naturally or not. Okay. I have no doubt that somewhere across the United States today, probably, in at least, I'm just going to guess, 100 churches across the U.S., some pastor somewhere used this as an example of a miracle. Just because it sounds good, you know, you're watching CNN, you're a pastor, you don't know what you're going to preach about on Sunday. CNN or NBC starts reporting that some soldier, you know, the bullet stopped almost near at their heart because, you know, they were going to die and the Bible stopped it. There it is. As Anthony pointed out earlier today when we were talking about the story, he's like, the sword of the spirit stopped the bullet, right? It's exciting. You could use it in a sermon and the congregation feels good and we clap, you know. You know that clap, you know that one? You know? Because we feel good by what the pastor just said. Can't clap like this. You have to clap like this, okay? But here's the question. Is that what we define as a miracle? Is that what the Bible looks at as a miracle? What if it wasn't a Bible that stopped the bullet? What if it was a flask of whiskey that he just put there? What if it was his chest plate that he was supposed to Yeah. Oh, by the way, he was wearing armor. He was wearing like a thing. Apparently went through that and then into the Bible. So apparently he wasn't wearing the breastplate of righteousness. He was just wearing the bulletproof one that wasn't so bulletproof. But what if it was a flask? What if it was a deck of cards? What if it was the Koran? What if it was just a novel? What if it was his glasses? Why does it become a miracle? Because suddenly it's the Bible. Now, hear me on this. I'm not saying that it's not a miracle. I'm saying that how do we know? And is that the way we're going to pick up a miracle? Because a lot of us are going to be asked this question over time. You say that your God does miracles. Is this a miracle? Why doesn't he do other miracles? And I think we need to understand what it is. So tonight, our job is to kind of come up with an answer. I've got one I'm going to give you in a moment. But before I do that, I want to just hear what you guys think you would define as an answer. If I came to you as a seeker, as a questioner, as a skeptic, and said... How do you know what a miracle is? What is a miracle? Is it just any time something happens that's a little bit weird that we can't explain? Would that be a miracle? Is it a miracle just because it happened to be a Bible that was in his pocket and not a flask of whiskey? Is it a miracle just because we like the story so much and it sounds so good? But what about all the other soldiers that are carrying Bibles that got shot and killed and didn't stop the bullet? How do we know when it is? Because that leaves us with a lot of difficult questions about God sometimes when we define miracles, I think, in a way that doesn't make sense. You want to take a stab at it? I think I would say um, at some point in time where God intervened, where he, the outcome changed because God did something. Okay, so God intervened, the outcome changed. How do you know when he intervenes? Like what test would you use to say, well, did God intervene in this case? I'm not sure kind of hard. I'm not saying that I, I just, anyone else? Couldn't part of the uh, definition be um, uh, an abnormality in relation to normal laws of, of nature, as in physics, biology, chemistry, things that occur, such as a healing, because it doesn't follow the normal medical prognosis. So it, so it alters like the laws of some physics, right. yeah. biology, chemistry, something alters it 
in an unusual way, or you're saying in like a, a way that just contradicts the very laws themselves? I would say both, but I'm not quite sure how that definition fits. Okay. Phil? Uh, it's something that's supernatural, something we can't explain through our current laws. Like, it's not something necessarily that we'd be able to test, because just because we don't understand something doesn't mean it's supernatural. We just may not be very smart and, like, not understand it. So, I mean, we could say, well, like, this phenomenon is something that's a miracle, but just because we can't understand it doesn't mean it's miracle. So I'd say, like, primarily a miracle has to have some aspect of something supernatural about it that goes above, not necessarily contradicting, but goes above the natural laws that we have. Okay. Okay, Monique? So, like, not denying that, like, good things can happen. That like God can be intervene, intervening and it not be a miracle. Out so of the ordinary. If God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, then why aren't people turning water into wine? They why might. isn't Elijah appearing to me if that is the only thing that's a miracle? Well, why just, isn't the sea being split? Well, let's answer that question, first of all. Because I think that deserves an answer before we go any further. A lot of people tend to look at the Bible and say that statement... And we talked about it a little bit last week. The Lord is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And therefore, because I saw Elijah do this or Jesus do that, we should be able to do that today. If you really look at the Bible in detail, you'll find that very few people in the Bible had any miraculous powers. In fact, over hundreds of years, not a couple of years, like we like to think about in our lifetime, like I've spent two years since the Lord's spoken to me, like hundreds of years would go by before you would have an Elijah or an Elisha, before you would have a Moses or a Joshua. And if you look in between, there are not many people doing anything. I mean, take Moses. Yes, there's a lot of miracles going on. Joshua, lots of miracles going on, like at Jericho and other places. But notice even in Joshua's lifetime, how many of the victories were given to him through miraculous purposes? maybe a couple. Most of the other victories he had to take through faith in the Lord. Now, this is where we get into the definition of a miracle. Gideon had a very small army that defeated a large army. Is that a miracle? We're going to come back to that definition of what a miracle is. But if you go outside of Moses, Joshua, Elijah, Elisha, Jesus, the apostles, there are not many miracle workers in the Bible. So it seems like miracles aren't quite as prevalent as we like to think they are because we read the Bible like a book like this thick, but we forget it spans a couple thousand years in time. And we have to remember that. You know, we're thinking that in our lifetime we should see miracles everywhere. Between the two testaments, we've brought this point up over and over. There were 400 years where the Lord didn't even speak to the people. So that's a little bit of something that we might have to remember that maybe when we say the Lord is the same, he is the same. He uses that power sparingly. Okay. Now I'm going to give you a breakdown of what I think miracles might be, but here's the question Ryan asked last week that I kind of like as a good example. If you're driving down the street and you're racing to get to work because you're late and you say, Lord, 
I'll give you anything if I get there on time. I am so late and I'm so busted. And on the way to work, 30 green lights. Not just the straight ones, but even the left turn ones, you know? Like every time you pull in, green, 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 green. I mean, you're going all the way through and you get to work and you go, Lord, I'll give you anything if there's a parking spot. You pull in, boom, it's like waiting for you right there. You get there and you're done. Is that a miracle? I don't, you tell me, what are the odds? Probably not really good. What if there were one in 10,000? And you just happen to be the 10,000th person who, it, who got it. Is that a miracle? I yeah. Would, I would say no. Only because it doesn't seem like God works that way. I mean, it could the be. It could be a miracle, you're saying. <laughs> but you're saying it probably isn't because he doesn't work that way. Why doesn't he work that way? I just haven't seen very many instances where... But what about Bruce Almighty? He parted the traffic like that, you know? That's Jim Carrey. He's a special. Oh, right, right. Special, the, the Jim Carrey doctrine of the of biblical interpretation. All right. Wes? I think in terms of miracles and as far as our view on it, is a lot of times, like, for instance, the soldier that you're talking about, God sits outside of time. If that is a miracle, what's that guy going to do 60 years down the road? What would have happened? Let's say it's hard to wrap our minds around it because, you know, Maybe God's working in a way that even if we sit here all day long trying to discuss it, we're never going to see it. Okay. Yeah. Well, let me show you this diagram that, um, that breaks things into categories. This is, a, this is a view that I've kind of adhered to, but I'm not going to pretend I made this diagram up. Okay. This is uh, put together by the people at Reasons to Believe. They, they break this down into three categories, understanding what miracles might look like. Okay. Now, I've broken it down into two categories, and then they become three. There's ordinary providence and extraordinary providence. We have to start with the presumption that even the life that we have came about in miraculous fashion. God's creation is probably the first miracle to begin with. The laws of physics as they operate, the laws of our universe, the laws of everything in us from, like Dave said, physics and biology and chemistry and everything that we have, just the fact that we have air to breathe is a miracle. God's creation is a miracle, and then he sets it in motion. So we start with the presumption that there are some things that we define as the ordinary providence of God. The fact that we have, here's some examples, like rain, weather, crop growth. Those are the laws that operate in our universe, but we should never forget that God ordained those laws and he created them. For us, we sing a song that says, Every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. Actually, everything that we have comes from the Lord, even the things that we take for granted, like rain and oxygen and crop growth and those kinds of things. That in itself is a miracle. So we start with things like the laws of physics, we start with things. Like also, don't forget this one, free human agency is another thing that's part of God's providence. He gave us our free will. And sometimes we use that will for good things. Sometimes we use that will for bad things. Sometimes that will is neither good or bad. Sometimes we just act a certain way and it leads to a certain result. And we may think of it as random, but it's still something that the Lord gave us. Not the act itself, but the chance to choose an act. So we start there. That's not what I consider a true miraculous event, 
But I do want to show you that the origins of it are miracle itself, that God gave us free will, and then he gave us the laws of physics, the creation exists. Move over one column. Now we have something that's extraordinary providence. This isn't just the ordinary functioning of our world. It's outside the ordinary functioning. And it's broken down into two categories. What's called a non-transcendent miracle and a transcendent miracle. What does that mean? Well, one is where God actually influences the natural order to bring about a certain result. Here are the examples we have up here. The Egyptian plagues, Noah's flood, disciples catching fish, the wind parting the Red Sea. Why is that an example of a non-transcendent miracle? Well, because it could have happened on its own. I mean, it could have rained for 40 days and nights on its own. There could have been a flood that flooded out all of humanity on its own. The reason we know it didn't happen on, on its own is because the Bible tells us that God got involved. But he didn't just get involved and suspend the laws of physics. People in looking at the Red Sea miracle, for example, have done computer modeling and they figured out how to recreate it. They can look at it and say, if the wind blows at exactly this degree, at exactly this speed, you could part the Red Sea long enough for these people to walk through. But they also calculated that the odds of that happening are almost astronomical. But we already have the answer to how it happened in the Bible. The Lord didn't come in and use his hands and just part it. We know that in the Bible how it parted. And we can see that if the wind blows a certain direction, it works. So God didn't step outside of the laws of physics. He actually used the laws of physics. In Noah's example, he sent rain. In the Red Sea example, he sent the wind. In the case of the plagues in Egypt, like it's possible that all those locusts could just land. But he actually sent all those locusts to land on the crops and destroy them. So God works within his own creation to produce a result. The third category is where he just goes straight directly past all the laws of physics and does what he wants to do. Those are examples like when he feeds the 5,000 out of the loaves of fishes. The, like the, what is it? How many loaves and fishes was it? Two fish, three loaves, something like that? Yeah, whatever it was that he had. I mean, there's no way through the laws of physics you could feed 5,000 people. The resurrection of Christ is another example. I mean, a man rose from the dead that defies all laws. Lazarus rising from the dead. A blind man who doesn't have like his nerve functions, who now suddenly can see. A person who has leprosy, you know, where there's no cure for that, suddenly is cured. Those are things that defy all of the laws of physics. So think about those three categories for a moment. I want to show you that it doesn't mean that God's not involved with them. But if we go back and visit our friend, the soldier, who's hanging out in the desert, here comes the bullet. It's like shooting straight towards his heart. Sometimes we don't know. Is that ordinary providence? Is that just his free will that morning that he decided to put the Bible where it was and just, it just was a random event? It's sometimes hard to tell. Isn't that the first commandment with the promise, honor your mother and father, that it will go well with you and that you will live a long life? His mom told him to do it. Yeah, but what about all those people that honored their mother and father got <laughs> shot dead? You know? Exactly. And this is the reason this topic is so important to us. Because what if we as a church proclaim that that soldier was saved only because he had a Bible there. And what if tomorrow the U.S. Army goes, hmm, maybe there's something to this. 
maybe people who put Bibles over their hearts will live in battle. And like they command the entire U.S. Army in Iraq to wear Bibles and like, you know, people still die. Are we presuming to speak on behalf of God and proclaiming things that maybe we don't know about? And that's why I want to be careful with the topic because a lot of us ask the question, this is where we even got the topic. A lot of us are always asking, was that a miracle? What exactly is a miracle? When I'm reading this, yes, I would love it to be that kind of miracle. I would love it to be the kind of thing where we go, see, what a great testimony this guy will have. And I'm not saying he won't have a great testimony. But we have to be careful sometimes because if this story had been about the guy who got shot and the whiskey flask had stopped it, None of us would be out in the streets proclaiming a miracle, but it would be almost the exact same story. Yeah, I know the Bible and the whiskey flask are a little different. Okay, I'm, I'm not, that isn't lost on me. But I want you to think that through and tell me. If you disagree, this is a good time to bring it up. Wes? Is it a miracle if a cop goes to work, puts on his bulletproof vest, gets shot, and it stops it? Uh, to me, if that vest was designed to stop it, I'd say that's probably not a transcendent miracle. Okay, it's probably not even a non-transcendent miracle. It's probably part of the ordinary providence that he did what he was supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. And hear me that again. I'm saying that God still is active. It's not like God is sitting up there saying, "Okay, what kind is this one?" Do I? Wait? I mean, we're not putting God in three categories where we go, "God, you have to stay over here." That's not what we're saying at all, because we know God could do this any single time He wanted to. God could violate the laws of physics every single time if He felt like it. What I'm saying is. In that example with the soldier, did God violate the laws of physics? And I would think, I don't think so. I think if you, if you did a test a number of times, you'd find out that maybe any time you had something there, if it went through the air, went that distance of feet, went through the armor, and then hit a solid book, it would probably stop, let's say, one out of every four times or whatever. Philip? Two things that I have to stick with. I don't think the definition of a miracle should be a set of good coincidences. I think that God can work through good coincidences, but that can't be a miracle. Like the sense of like God can design it so that you get all green lights, and that can be something God wants and God did, but that doesn't make it a miracle. Um, because every time miracles used in the Bible, it's something that's a supernatural sign, it's a show to people that it's obvious that this is something that's supernatural. So if you're on the way to work and you got the thirty green lights all the way to work, that's you're saying that's not a miracle because Even it could, through random occurrence, occur. Well, even if God had part in it, I don't think it should be defined as a miracle. Okay. And so in the sense, like, just because God does something for you, even that could be really good, even just because God motivated you to put a Bible, this guy sold him to put a Bible in his pocket, doesn't mean it was a miracle. Let me, let me bring that to a point. I think these two are miracles, meaning God intervening in the laws of physics to bring about a certain result, like, and influencing them. And I believe God just forgetting them completely and doing whatever he wants is a miracle. I think everything else really should be just defined as God's providence. But here's the problem that I have a little bit with that. So God is great that he's allowing you to have 30 green lights on the way to work. Now let's, let's go to what I think really happens in my life. I got to get to a meeting as fast as I can and I get 30 red lights. Does that mean that God is thwarting me? Because if you were comfortable that he was giving us his provision... So you, not necessarily that everything... Well, in a sense, yeah, I would say that God's thwarting you. Because I'd have to believe that God's in control. And for whatever reasons may not be his own, that for his best purposes, it's better that you get red lights. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. What's the difference between a miracle and answering prayer? Well, it's the same analysis. It's not the same thing. I mean, you may pray 
you're in a waiting room, somebody's ill, and you're praying that they get better. God answers that prayer. The question is, how does he answer that prayer? Maybe the physician who's in that room is a skilled physician, and this operation could have gone this way or this way, but because God, through his provision, got you into the right hospital with the right doctor who's skilled enough to do it, you came out this way. Is that a miracle? Or is that just God's goodness operating in the world? It's the same analysis. You're praying, God, heal this person. What if the doctor is the worst doctor in the world? This is the worst hospital in the world. The chances of survival are zero. They got their almost DOA, and there's like nothing you could do, and then you pray. And even the doctor doesn't understand why you got up off that table. Then I think you're over on this side. Maybe here, maybe here, but then it's a miracle. But the, the thing is, both of them weren't answered to prayer, weren't they? Yeah. That's that's why I was asking Philip about that. If well, you guys were looking that verse up, like if he, if he's if you're driving to work instead of getting green lights, you get red lights. Are you going to say, well, then God's thwarting me? He's not giving me His provision? Like He's stopping me? But the answer is maybe, maybe not. I mean, we have to at least admit, I think, as a group, that sometimes when you're driving to work and you got 30 green lights. But you happen to be Wes, who's driving to work at 3 a.m. in the morning. It's not a miracle or anything. It's just normal, you know? <laughs> it's just the way that traffic is at 3 a.m. in the morning. You probably drive from here to Glendale on green lights at 3 a.m. in the morning, right? Or you're saying, like, oh, Lord, get me there on time, and you're at 4 a.m. in the morning, and there's nobody on the freeway. You're like, yes, Lord, I knew it. You love me. <laughs> like, well, that's, everybody else loves their sleep, and you're the only one on the freeway at 4 a.m., okay? But that's where we have to be careful because we just don't know all the time. There's a lot of people who will say that, hey, the Lord did that, but I'm not so sure they altered the traffic system in L.A. County to make it work for you. We as Christians have to at least be able to articulate correctly our theology on this because a lot of times if we call everything a miracle, then you get into the trouble that you were having. When you say to somebody, I think it's a miracle that this happened, and somebody says to you, oh, so you think the Lord intervened for you to have this good thing? That means the Lord screwed me when this bad thing happened. God's clear word is that he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He's very clear that he gives his provision to everyone. That's the reason I think there's some danger in setting up a situation where we don't understand when God is on this side of the chart, when he's really offering a miracle. If I could say it more plainly, there are enough Christians that are mouthing off about what a miracle is and what a miracle isn't and claiming things to be miracles that may be just God's ordinary provision or maybe not even God involved in it that causes everyone else to believe, well, if God is that involved in our day-to-day life that he's controlling all these good things for you, then he must be trying to screw me. And God may be up there saying, I don't have anything to do with your green lights or your red lights you got to talk to the city of Glendora about that. That has nothing to do with me. But even that's a choice. That's an involvement. That's his choice, right? God choosing to not get involved knowing what the outcome is, is him being involved. Like, if I see a kid walking that's down the street no and seeing th- a car and you choose not to intervene, that's a choice you're making intervening. It's okay, the same idea. and I agree with you that when he chooses not to act, you might consider that a choice. Okay. Fair enough. That's a very human notion, by the way, that we're imposing on an eternal God who's infinite in all ways. That this kind of like, well, by choosing not to act, you're acting. Like, okay, maybe God's up there thinking like, yeah, that's, like I needed to hear that from you guys. But it's 
for, let's take that as true for a moment, even though there is a little asterisk next to that because we're trying to define an infinite God, but let's take that as true. We know that God chooses not to act. How many people have prayed for someone to, to be healed and they die? Nobody doubts that God is in control of all things. Nobody doubts that God can get involved at any point. So that means that God clearly decides certain times not to act. I think we have to stop there. Because we don't know why. And I think the important point is we have a promise from him that he works things for good. But I know plenty of people that have asked the Lord to act and he hasn't and they'll probably never see the reason. That's why I can't, we cannot go further. We will struggle with the same questions when we come back to the will of God later. But we are always going to struggle with that question of why didn't you act? And I don't even want to presume to, to make a generalization because in every situation it's different. He is sovereign. He has an outcome to look at. And that's the point. Philip, jump in. Right. Like, what's the purpose of a miracle? Because I think that would help at least me to understand, because I, I, don't, I honestly don't know what... It's a good question. Is. Biblically, miracles were done to establish authority, to emphasize a point that the Lord was making, to give credence to the prophet himself who was making the statement from the Lord. And in Jesus' case, sometimes he just com- took compassion on people and healed them. But most of the miracles were made to emphasize the truth of the speaker's position and his authority to make those statements. And if you go through the Bible and flip pages and start looking at the miracles, from Moses to Joshua, you look at Elijah, you look at Elisha, they were ushering in important eras. Moses and Joshua were ushering in the nation of Israel and establishing them as the leaders and giving them the law. And that's why miraculous signs took place. Elijah and Elisha ushered in the prophetic years. And that's why their emphasis was really a hallmark to begin that era. The miracles that came of Jesus and the apostles obviously were to usher in the church itself. Those are at least the biblical reasons for those things, but there are exceptions. I mean, there are times when Jesus just said he looked at somebody and they were healed, like the woman who touched his robe. I mean, there was no purpose to that except that she was healed, her faith healed her. Okay? So there are those kind of points that we can make. But I guess to bring it in again, the whole idea is we sometimes are careless with the way that we throw around these words ourselves. We sometimes are careless with the things that we identify as miracles. And a lot of times we won't know. And I'll just tell you that we won't know. You're driving down the street, you get the 30 green lights. God could have intervened and changed it, or it could have just been great luck. I'm not saying that God is not involved when you have great luck. I'm saying the fact that we have air is good from the Lord. So the fact that you get green lights is a double bonus. You get air and green lights and all the other things that the Lord gives us. I'm not trying to diminish the Lord's provision. I'm just saying that he may not have literally violated the laws of physics to get you there on time. Next time, wake up half an hour earlier, and it wouldn't even need to be a miracle. Here, let me read you a little bit of scripture, too, so we're not just talking of our own opinions today. This is the one that's often cited over and over. It was made fun of in Bruce Almighty and probably on every bumper sticker in America. This is Jesus walking on water. Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went on a mountainside by himself to pray. When the evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walk on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. 
A lot of us look at the miracle that Jesus walked on water. This is on this side, probably, by the way, where he's actually violating every law of physics there is by actually having his corporal body walking on the water. But the part of the miracle that I like the best is the part that comes in this sentence. Jesus said to them immediately, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, the Lord said. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. I just love that line, that Peter got to walk on the water. We all know the story that he did it, but just think of the beauty of that for a moment. That Peter was given that power, and of course Peter would later, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would have the power to do other things. Heal blind people. He raised a woman from the dead later. But for that moment, in his scared state in that boat, he saw the Lord walking on the water, breaking every law of physics, and said, I would like to do the same thing. And the Lord said, come. A lot of people, when they look at this verse, they think what the Lord did was go, come, and like go, bling, you know, and do something magical. I think all the Lord did was say, come over here, Peter. You can do this. You can do this. And Peter did. He stepped out, and his faith was strong enough to allow him to walk on that water. But, always that bad word in the Bible, but... When Peter saw the wind, he was afraid, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? You could just feel it in Jesus' voice. You were doing so good. You were walking on the water until you saw the waves and got scared. But again, the beauty of Jesus' words and the way it's written in the Bible is immediately Jesus reached out and pulled him up. That story kind of marries some of God's provision and even his miraculous nature all in the same place. I mean, here's Peter who can do this miraculous thing. But as soon as he starts to fail and it's no longer as miraculous and he's starting to sink in the water, there's an image of Jesus immediately grabbing him and pulling him out to safety. Now, yes, it leaves open that question of why doesn't he do that in every case? We're going to cover that question because it's a deep, deep question. And it's going to come up in our series on the will of God. But what I wanted to leave you with tonight when we talk about all these miracles is I wanted to just get off the road of spiritual gifts for a moment. Because there's all this talk about whether miracles exist and they don't exist. I believe miracles are still active. The real issue is I want to be careful not to over-miracleize the world. Because when we do that, we leave ourselves open to somebody else who comes up and says, why does the Lord only act for you and thwart me? And a lot of the times, the real answer is, maybe the Lord didn't intervene for either person. Maybe the Lord has already given us such good things in this world that he doesn't need to intervene every five minutes in some miraculous way. Maybe the fact that we have this world, we have his word, we have salvation, we have his model, Maybe the fact that he left us with doctors to heal is his provision. And once in a while, he will intervene. But I just don't know when that will be. And I'm not going to tell you I have a formula to do it. So that's kind of like a way for us to kind of resolve at least the issue of, are there miracles? Yes. What is a miracle? Look on the screen. I think they're probably a lot rarer than you would imagine. 
Look at your Bible. They're probably a lot rarer than you remember. And then look at your own life and think about how we use that theology when we talk to other people. Let's wrap up and close, spend a little bit more time in worship. Lord, sometimes the topics that we choose to take on in here, I, I think that we, uh, we must provide a lot of humor for you. Our little charts and diagrams and explanations and definitions trying to explain an infinite God or even understand him. Lord, I hope that you just take pleasure in your children and the fact that we just desire to learn more about you, to even ask tough questions that confuse us, that somehow that still delights you because it really is born out of a desire to know you better, not out of a desire for knowledge in and of itself. I know that tonight, Lord, there are still some questions that are unanswered, and I pray that your Holy Spirit is the one that is our instructor tonight, this week, in the coming years. Lord, even an experience in our life, we grow in wisdom, and that wisdom is often directed by the Holy Spirit to give us answers to the things that we seek. So Jesus, I lay all this tonight at your feet. This entire effort that we do here on Sunday nights, make something good come out of this. Sometimes, Lord, that would be a miracle. (laughs) Pray all these things in your name. Amen. Mm